0: Ooh, hallelujah, God. We do lift up your name and we praise you. We give glory to you because you are praiseworthy. You're perfect. You're almighty. You're holy. You're just. And to think that you would call us into your presence is just awesome. It's glorious. And again, you are praiseworthy. And so, Lord, we just we want to lift up your name today. We want to open up our minds. We want to open up our hearts and our lives to continue to worship you, not just through words that we sing, although that's glorious. And it's so wonderful to sing praises to you, but also, God, as you speak to us through your word today, I pray that the worship of our heart would grow deeper and will continue to keep on growing as we just worship you through the the word of God today, the living word of God, Jesus, our Savior. God, come be with us Continue with us, anoint us, give us your power, give us the ability to praise you in all the integrity of our life as we continue to worship you now, in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to open your Bible with me today to the little book of 2 Peter. We'll wrap up our our thoughts today as we wrap up our series on second peter i'm excited about that you will not be more encouraged by anything that you read or experience today than the word of god to our life and to our heart today the bible says trust in the lord with all your heart lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him And he will make your paths straight. So, do you want God to direct your steps and navigate your life today? Well, then, trust all of your ways to him with all of your heart and allow him to stabilize your life by putting your trust totally and completely in him. That's the way. To being able to trust God. One of the basic elements of any civilization or any institution is trust. You can't have a stable marriage without trust. You can't have a stable business without trust. You can't have a stable church without trust. And you can't have a stable life without trust. So would you agree with me today that the trust level in our world is very low? I mean, from little things like keeping appointments to major things like overcoming a pandemic. Who or what can you trust? Who or what can you truly stake your life in and put your trust in today? Think about it. How much much trust do you have in government today? How much trust do you have in the economy today? How much trust do you have in the media today? And on and on and on I could go. I think you will agree with me that the trust level in our world, not just in our country, but in our whole world, is very low today. I heard a new word this week. Everyone now since 2019 has come to understand what a pandemic is. The new word I heard this week was infodemic. New word, infodemic. The Edelman Trust Barometer recently released an article stating that decreased trust in institutions might be the biggest obstacle to standing in our way to rebuilding trust in our world. Trust is very low in our world. So today, as we complete our series in Second Peter, we've been here the past few months, and we've come to understand that Simon Peter revealed that there is something that you can trust. There is one thing that you can put your trust in that will change your whole view of life. And that is what it looks like to trust God's promise So, as we come to the conclusion of this little book, 2 Peter, we land there. In these last days, we can totally trust God's promise. And it might be that we can only trust God's promise. So, you have your Bible open to 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to wrap up reading verses 14 through 18 for our thoughts today. 2 Peter chapter 3. Verse 14, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks of, in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow In the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. I don't know about you, but I thank God for His Word to us today. One one verse earlier, before verse 14, in verse 13... Simon Peter had assured us and continues to assure us that God has promised us that Jesus is coming back to this earth again to make all things new. He's going to take everything that was messed up from Genesis 3 to today, everything and most of what we know of human history, and it's going to all be burned up. And He's going to give a new heaven and a new earth for believers to rejoice and celebrate and worship and live with Him forever and ever and ever and ever. We don't know when He's coming back. The Bible says nobody knows that. But we know this, God's promise is that He is coming back. And there is not one promise in the entire Word of God that has not been fulfilled that God has promised. And this promise will be fulfilled as well. So the question today is this. What should we do until Jesus comes back again? Four things we want to focus on that we should do until Jesus comes back again. The first one is found in verse 14 of 2 Peter chapter 3. And that is, be diligent in trusting God's promise. Verse 14 says, therefore, beloved, since... You are waiting for these. Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. See, one of the greatest comforts in life is to know that you are loved. And so many times in this passage, twice in these little four verses that we have for today, Peter refers to believers as beloved, those whom he loves. You appreciate and listen to someone that you love, don't you? Peter loved fellow believers in Christ Jesus, and his last words were words of encouragement to them, but also to us. And we ought to follow the example of Peter and be encouraging to those we love. And we're going to talk about how to do that this morning. With his last recorded words, Peter says, Since you are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth, live without spot and without blemish. This means very simply to live righteously. Now, that doesn't mean that we clean up our lives in order to please God, in order to be accepted by God. That's not what this means at all. Do you understand the difference in justification and sanctification? In his book, Roots of Faith, Morgan devotes a chapter to each of these basic doctrines. And you ought to be very familiar with the difference in justification and sanctification. Justification is the gracious act of God to acquit us from sin. That means God looks at us and judges us as innocent. And there's only one way that that can be true, right? It's all about what Jesus has obediently done to satisfy the payment for our sin against God. Justification means that you are made new only in Jesus. Justification means that your identity Is changed from being in your own flesh, standing on your own terms before God, and rather being transformed to stand in Christ, in Jesus, in His terms. Justification causes God to look at you, listen to this now, as though you had never sinned. That's good news. Last week we talked about the fact that you should celebrate that. For God to be able to look at you as though you've never sinned, knowing that you have sinned, knowing that you are guilty, is grounds for celebration. Justification causes believers to look at ourselves differently. Because God looks at us differently. He sees us as though we were Jesus. And I hope you've taken advantage of Allowing God to justify you, to give you the salvation that Simon Peter is talking about here. When you understand that you were set free from the penalty of your sin, only because God has extended His grace to you, it makes you look at God differently. It makes you look at God as though, wow, how could I not love someone who would make that kind of sacrifice for me? And it also wants to make you Receive His grace so you, in turn, then can look at others differently. You can look at others and want them to know the same grace that you know. That was the passion of Simon Peter's life. And I want that to be the passion of my life and your life as well. We have nothing to boast about because salvation is a gift. From God. That is justification. Justification drives our priorities in life. Justification drives us to worship God, to bow down before Him and pour out our life before Him and expose our life to Him. Justification is the means, the bridge, the way that you receive salvation from God. And we celebrate that today. But after God justifies you by His grace alone, you don't just stay there. After you're justified, that then moves us to the next chapter. It moves us to sanctification. And sanctification is how we grow as a believer to be more and more and more and more like Jesus every day. It's the result of Receiving salvation and then taking the salvation God has given and developing it in our life. And again, these last thoughts of Simon Peter are focused solely on how to do that and why we should do that. Sanctification is the work you do, listen to this now, to mortify the flesh. That means you put to death, you kill The sinful nature that you're born with in the flesh. You put to death sinful desires of the flesh. Sanctification means that you recognize God's call for you to live a life of repentance. When you sin, and you will immediately, the Holy Spirit will convict you if you've been justified. If you've been saved, the Holy Spirit will convict you. And sanctification calls you to repent and turn away from that sin and give it to God. Let Him forgive you of that sin. Sanctification means that you yield your will to God's power to help you overcome addictions of the flesh. An addiction is anything that God created to be good that you take beyond the boundaries that He created. And it takes effort on your part to mortify, to kill, to put to death the natural desires that you have inside yourself that step outside the boundaries that God created to protect you. Let me just give you a personal picture of how that works in my life and how it can work in your life and should work in your life as well. I'm tempted to sin. And I have three options. Option number one is to give in to that temptation. In recovery, we call that relapse. Option number two is, I can resist the temptation on my own. That's called stupid. (laughs) It's called stupid. The third option is, I can yield to the Holy Spirit for him to give me grace to resist that temptation. And that's called sanctification. Let me give you an example. Let's say I am addicted to social media. I wake up in the morning, I grab my social media, I start working on social media. I go through the day, anything that happens, I post on social media. I can't wait to get the word out there for other people to like me back for what I put on social media. I don't go to bed tonight before at night before looking at I mean, there is an addiction that's a serious addiction to something like social media. So I'm tempted, I fall to it. That's one choice. I'm tempted, I say, I'm not going to do it today. I'm not going to do it today. I'm not going to do it today. And every time I tell myself to not going to do it today, I'm going to do it today. That's in the flesh. That's stupid. Or I can look at the Holy Spirit. I can say, Holy Spirit, help me today, rather than looking to social media for approval, looking to social media for my identity. Let me look at your word. And God, give me a, a, a word from your holy word, the Bible, and let me live my life according to your standard. I follow the path of the Holy Spirit to identity. I follow the path of, social, of, of, of the Holy Spirit to overcome my addiction to social media. Social media is not bad, inherently. Just like almost nothing else that you're addicted to is bad in itself. It's when we take it beyond the boundaries And let that become the focus of our life and our worship and it becomes an addiction. It becomes negative. God wants to sanctify us by overcoming addictions to the flesh, by killing, by mortifying, by putting to death me turning to instincts in my flesh rather than turning to follow the Holy Spirit. Another way God often sanctifies us is by and grow, grows our faith is 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 through difficult circumstances. I have a few trees in my yard that are huge, and the roots go way down into the ground. And storms have come and storms have gone. Some of them are over a hundred years old, and they've withstood the storm because every storm makes them stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger to support the branches and support the life that's in those trees. That's the way sanctification process works. When the storms of wind comes, we trust in the Holy Spirit to build us and grow us. And rather than blow over and fall, we become stronger and stronger and stronger. Also through the sanctification process, God gives us a heart for righteousness and holiness and love. Are those qualities, are those uh, aspects of, of your life that you can look at and know that God is growing you to look more and more and more like Jesus through his sanctification process. Those qualities of God are exposed in the tough times of life, in the storms of life, through the sanctification process. And finally, sanctification draws believers To a lifestyle of discipleship. Discipleship is the process of knowing Jesus. That's justification. And then being transformed by Jesus. That's sanctification. And then being on mission with Jesus. That's the work that we do to share Christ with others. Because we have been justified and we are growing in sanctification. We have a ministry team right now in Spain. Sharing the good news of Jesus Christ to those who are inquisitive and want to learn about truth. We have missionaries in Zambia from this church who for 15 years have faithfully served to share Jesus, their own mission with Jesus. We have missionaries in the 1040 window, children from families of this church Who are sharing Jesus with people who have never heard the name of Jesus before. That's being on mission with Jesus. So Peter says, as you live in eager expectation of the day of the Lord, be diligent to be found by him without spot and blemish and at peace. Is your life at peace today? I I pray that it is. I pray that you are anchored not in the circumstances of this world, but in growing because of God's justification work in your life and the fact that he's sanctifying you to be on mission with him and grow more and more more to be like him every day that you live. I remember when the doctor told us 34 years ago that we were having a baby. Many of you have been in that position. The months leading up to that delivery were eagerly anticipated. I painted the baby's new room. I painted uh, everything in the room that would be, you know, uh, look like, look like a, a, a baby's room. I bought a crib. I bought a changing dresser. I bought diapers. You know what I'm talking about. There was an anticipation and expectation of new life coming into this world. And I was anticipating it. I was excited about it. How much more should we be excited and eagerly expecting the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and in anticipation of His coming, prepare our hearts to be be more and more and more and more like Jesus every single day until the Lord does return? Are you eagerly expecting the return of the Lord you know what it's like to eagerly expect a, a child going to the first grade. You remember that day when your child first went to the first grade? You know what it's like maybe to eagerly expect going to college? You know what it's like to eagerly expect buying a piece of property, buying a home to live in, buying a, a dwelling to live in? We know what it's like to eagerly expect something. And Simon Peter is so practical here. He's saying we should be eagerly expecting the return of our Lord and Jesus, our Savior, Jesus Christ, by becoming more and more and more like Jesus every day. Don't be lazy or complacent about being without spot and without blemish while waiting for the day of the Lord. Without spot and blemish means that you keep your life in order. You eradicate anything that keeps you from being at peace with Jesus. Is there anything that, that God would challenge your heart with today if you knew you were standing before Jesus? You can be at peace knowing that you're growing more and more and more to be like Jesus without spot and without blemish as you anticipate the Lord's coming. So through the sanctification process, you can be at peace as you anticipate his return, by living today with an eternal perspective. What would you like to be doing when Jesus comes back? What would you like to look like when Jesus comes back? Put that into action in your life today, Simon Peter says. Be diligent in trusting God's promise. Secondly, Be wise in trusting God's promise. Now we see two great big ideas in verses 15 and 16. Verse 15 says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote you according to the wisdom given him. So here's what Peter thought. He said, let me just say this one more time. It's that important. Let me give you another witness to this important truth that I'm sharing with you right now. A wise witness that I want to bring alongside and share this news with you right now. That Jesus is coming back and we need to be ready when he comes back. See, we were created by God to know God and to worship him. That is wise living. When we know God and when we are worshiping Him, that's wise. Anything less than that, anything that distracts from that, anything that takes away from that is foolish, is not wise. You and I deserve God's judgment. We deserve God's wrath because we have sinned against him our sin nature condemns us to separation from god but god has provided forgiveness for you by taking the punishment that you deserve for your sin on himself that's how much he loves you that's how much he cares for you that's what salvation means it's a gift from God to you. Let me say today, if, if, if you have never received that gift of salvation, if you've never allowed God to justify you based on what He has done for you, based on how much He loves you, based on His sacrifice for you, then you still have time. Today can be the day of salvation for you. And I pray that you won't let this day pass, this moment pass, without putting your faith and trust in Him. God has provided forgiveness for you by taking the punishment of your sin on Himself. He's been patient. So believe His promise and put your trust in Him now while you still have time. So you don't wait until you clean yourself up to trust him. Believe in Jesus and then let him make you more and more and more like him every single day. It's wise to trust God's promise of salvation and receive his promise of salvation. So he says again in verse 15, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. Verse 16. As he does in all of his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do in other scriptures. So here's what Simon Peter did. Simon Peter recognized the value of Paul's letters To the growth of the church and to our growth and edification today. Peter described Paul's letters as wisdom from God. There was no competition spirit between Peter and Paul and the message of the gospel. That was the same message that both of them preached. There is no competition spirit in sharing God's promise of salvation. God has given our church a mission and a vision. And he wants us to create an environment starting in this community and spreading around the world for every man, woman, and child to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that every man, woman, and child will have a chance to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I trust that you have responded and that you are willing to share what God has done in your life with other people. But we're not in competition with other churches. I'm not in competition with other preachers. Often, when I'm riding by other churches, you know what I do? I pray that the gospel witness in that church will lead somebody that day, that week, to come to know Jesus Christ just like I know Jesus Christ. Other churches are not our competition. Other preachers are not my competition. But it's wise to trust God's promise. It's wise to pray for friends who share God's promise. But it's also wise to know the difference in false teaching, and teaching that is the truth. So what should I do until Jesus comes back? I need to be diligent in trusting God's promise. And secondly, I need to be wise in trusting God's promise. But then thirdly, because there are false teachings out there and false teachers out there, look at number three in verse 17. Be firm in trusting God's promise. Verse 17 says, You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with error of lawless people and lose your own stability. See, when you love someone, You warn them of danger to come. You want them to be safe. And following the crowd is usually dangerous. Following the way of the world is always dangerous. False teachers are exposed when their teaching is held alongside God's truth. I received a note this week from a single mom who visited our church recently. I was I was celebrating the the victory that the Supreme Court sent down regarding Roe versus Wade. Here's what it says. It says and I quote, Ronnie, I appreciate your sermon today. At first I thought he's going there. But it was an excellent reminder that we don't get to choose when we wear our Jesus t-shirt. It's having the unpopular opinion. It's standing for what is less believed by the world. It's doing it in kindness and love that the world tells us to be pro-choice. But the Bible clearly states that God created each and every one of us. End of quote. Believers are warned to be alert and stand firm on God's choice, on God's truth. Paul puts it this way in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 1. He says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, I love this, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Everybody stands firm on something It's not just standing firm. It's who you stand firm in and what you stand firm on. The way of the world constantly changes. The way of the world will lead you to change your opinion based on popular opinion rather than God's truth. So again, Peter, as well as I am encouraging us today not to be carried away by the way of the world the way of the world is focused on issues like climate change and biodiversity loss and species extinction and marine ecosystem deterioration and water scarcity and human crisis caused by wars and children's education and health and gender equality and so on Now, don't misunderstand what i'm saying here these are important issues There are issues of concern. But we have to look at every issue, including these, and every other issue under the sun, through the lens of God's truth. And not on the wisdom of this world, not on the way of this world. I'm joining Peter again in pleading with you that we keep the focus on the real foundation, on the real solution to the challenges of this world. Only the stabilizing factor of God's truth is worth putting your trust in in this world today. Only God's truth. Plus or minus nothing else. God's truth and God's truth alone. So in verse 17, Peter says, take care that you're not carried away with error of lawless people and lose your own stability. So again, he's talking about standing on the firm foundation of God's truth. On July 4th, a thunderstorm blew through our neighborhood. There was a beautiful crepe myrtle tree in our backyard that went way up 40 feet into the sky. And for the first time in the history of that tree, it had huge blooms. I mean, huge blooms on it. When the rain of that storm began to fall and the weight of those blooms... Grew heavier and heavier and heavier. The internal structure of that tree. Was not strong enough to support the weight of those blooms. And guess what happened? Those limbs crashed over. They couldn't stand under the pressure. They couldn't stand under a little bit of wind. And Simon Peter is saying to us today. Our lives must be stabilized by the truth Of God's promise. The world will blow us over if we put our life and trust and faith in the way of the world. We have to have a firm foundation, and the only foundation that will hold you up under the stress and pressure of this world is God's promise. God's promise. So be diligent in trusting God's promise. Be wise in trusting God's promise. And be firm. Anchor yourself in trusting God's promise. And finally this morning, the last word that we have from Simon Peter in verse 18. Be focused in trusting God's promise. Be focused in trusting God's promise. He says in verse 18, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So the day of eternity is the promise that Christ is going to return. He's coming back. God will establish justice and peace forever. So while we wait on His coming... He says, focus on growing in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What is grace? Grace is the free gift of God to you. You can't manufacture God's grace in your life. It's a gift. God offers you His grace when you trust Him and put your faith in Him. Grace is God's gift to you. What you do with that gift of grace that God gives you can not only change your life and transform your life, but as you faithfully focus on sharing that grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ with other people, it can transform their lives as well. Growing in grace and knowledge of Jesus takes focus. So let me just wrap up this series by giving you uh, a few ways to focus on growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Simon Peter had this written all over his life while he lived and as he went to the cross and died. History tells us he was crucified upside down because he did not count it worthy to be crucified in the same way that Jesus Christ was crucified. He believed this promise, and he focused on this promise. And his focus was on, first of all, worshiping God. So you and I are challenged to focus on worship. That's private worship and corporate worship. Worship is knowing and praising God with all of our life. It's not just singing songs, although that's part of it. It's not just reading the Word, that's part of it. It's laying your whole life every day before God and saying, God, I just want to know you. And when you know God, you can't know Him without worshiping Him and being drawn to Him. And that's a practical way to live. It's not some go away to some isolated place where you're always by yourself. It's living out loud for God, worshiping God while you're in the midst of work and family and play and whatever you do. It's showing love to God in every area and every phase and every moment of your life. True worship and false teaching are not compatible. That's why it's so important to look through this lens at the book of 2 Peter You can't be growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. You can't be walking with Jesus in fellowship with him and worshiping God moment by moment and be following false teaching. It's impossible. The two won't mix. It's like oil and water. So focus on worship. Also, I would challenge you to focus on spending time in God's Word, reading the Bible, studying the Bible. You can know God and grow in grace and knowledge only as you live in God's Word. I would like to challenge you to join me in spending as much time in God's Word, reading God's Word, studying God's Word, meditating on God's Word, holding on to God's Word as you do on social media. Try it and see how God will transform your life through His Word. Yes, as Peter points out about Paul, there are difficult passages of Scripture. When you face a difficult passage of Scripture, don't just make up an answer. (laughs) Look at the passages of Scripture that you do understand. I mean, do you understand the fact that God is love and that God loves you? And that God so loved you that he gave his son Jesus to die for you. And God did not come into this world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I mean, there are so many more passages that you do understand and can understand. So focus on them and then pray and ask God to give you insight on the difficult passages. And don't just listen to every whim of doctrine that comes along by somebody else that might be making up answers to what God's word says. Ask God to show you what His Word says. Spend enough time in His Word that He convinces you of what a difficult passage might mean. Then pray and trust God to reveal those difficult passages to you. When I was in seminary, the smartest man I've ever known, Dr. Curtis Vaughn, was my New Testament professor. I heard him preach a number of times. And when he would open up the Bible to preach, he preached from the Hebrew Bible and the Greek Bible. He didn't use a translation. He was that smart. But he said something I'll never forget. There were certain passages he said he would never preach on because he hadn't come to understand them yet from God. If he said that, what about me? I mean, I'm going to stand on the truth that I do understand. The gospel that I do understand. And be faithful sharing it with other people. Also, grow in grace and knowledge by spending much time in prayer. I I received an email from a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine this week. And here's what he says. You get closest to who you pray to. You get closest to who you pray for. And you get closest to who you pray with. Now, I don't think that's correct English, but I want to tell you something. It's doctrine, true doctrine. It's gospel truth. What am I saying? I'm saying focus much time and energy on prayer. Also, I want to challenge you, according to Simon Peter, to be natural in sharing how God gives you His peace. In other words, engage the culture with your authentic Jesus story. Engaging the culture means that you take time to actually talk to people who are different from you and who have different opinions from you. Ask good questions with a compassionate attitude to look for honest questions that people are asking and then take those questions and in a genuine, authentic relationship with them, bridge them to the gospel truth. It's not your job to change people. But God wants to use the investment that He has in you To change the lives of other people. God will change people if they come to understand the truth. So focus on living a godly life at home. At school or at work or recreation. Focus on having the kind of spirit that Jesus had. That's what Simon Peter was asking us to do. So, why don't people trust God's promise today? I bet you've heard someone say, How can I trust a God who allows suffering? How can I trust a God who doesn't answer my prayers? How can I trust a God that I don't even need? I mean, I'm doing okay, I'm comfortable. How can I trust a God who has followers who are hypocrites? How can I trust a God who only allows one way to heaven? I mean, on and on and on. People are asking questions, and some of these are really good questions. And some of them don't need cheap answers. But the answer to these questions is for you to know and have an authentic walk and relationship with God where you are demonstrating what it means to stand firm in the good news of Jesus Christ and under pressure and in difficulty and even in pain or maybe even in suffering. You stand firm in your faith and in the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's what it means to keep on growing in faith and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and in the end when we do that, our lives will bring glory and honor to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You can't trust God until you know Him. And you can't truly know Him without focusing your life on Him and trusting Him. There's no in-between. So in these last days... That's why I say that you can totally trust God's promise. Be diligent, be wise, be firm, and be focused in trusting God's promise. Who or what you trust makes all the difference in how you live. So by way of application, that's why I say you have every reason to trust God's promise. He's faithful. Every promise he's made, he's kept. It's true. How do you know the difference in a true and false teaching? This was a theme, a major theme of Simon Peter here. In John's Gospel, chapter 8, John says, If you abide in God's Word, if you abide in my Word, you're truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will do what? The truth will set you free. Jesus is coming back. Don't follow false teachers. Know Jesus. And make all of life about him. And then you will grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory. Both now until the day of the Lord. Father, thank you today that your truth is a firm foundation that we can stake our life on. And when the winds blow and the storms come, we'll remain the same because we are anchored in Jesus Christ. God, I pray for anyone who may be here today who has never been justified who's never accepted your salvation your offer your gift to come to Jesus and believe in him thank you for the promise that whoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved thank you for the promise that if we confess our sin he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness So God, in the next few minutes, I pray that your Holy Spirit will do your work in our life and convict us, that there'll be some who will raise their life before you today and say, I want to give my life to Jesus today. I want Jesus to call me to repentance, and as I repent and turn away from my sin and turn to Jesus, I want the rest of my life to make a difference for Jesus. And, God, for those of us who know you, help us to keep on growing and becoming more and more and more like Jesus. And if there are areas where your your Holy Spirit convicts us that we need to allow you to forgive, to redirect, to cleanse, to make new, God, I pray we'll be willing to make those changes today by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name now. We continue to pray. Amen.